the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to Magic Markets. This podcast is brought to you by Anbro Capital Investments. Invest in the future, invest in growth. Visit investingunicorns.com to learn more. The Unicorn portfolio is managed by Anbro Capital Investments, an authorized financial services provider. Welcome to episode 10 of Magic Markets. I'm Mohamed Nala from monos.com, joining you from a snowy, cold Canada, while my co-host, the finance ghost, joins you from sunny Cape Town in South Africa. Ghost, how are you doing? Hello, Mo. What a, what a week on the markets. It's been, uh, it's been pretty wild, hasn't it? I'm so excited for tonight's show. It, it's absolutely nuts. I have no idea what we're going to talk about. I mean, it's not as though there's any particular stock that's up 3,500% over the last year that's been grabbing headlines. What do you think? You know, I've, I've been calling gaming for a long time. Um, just not that stock, <laughs> unfortunately. So, you know, the thematic investment doesn't always work out. Sometimes you need to call the stock, but... Um, you know, it, it, it is what it is. So our, our listeners can't see this, but Mo is wearing this particularly lovely light blue hoodie, which makes it look like he's coding on one screen and trading way out of the money call options on the other. So Mo, I feel, I feel like you're adjusting to this new this new world. That's the hoodie of a man who's been trading GameStop for the past uh, two weeks. Ghost, it's because I don't want the game to stop. I no. mean, for the listeners who do. aren't familiar, <laughs> for the listeners not familiar, Ghost, I mean, GameStop has been all the news. Uh, and in fact, I just wrote a blog article on, on my website, monos.com, for those that, that may have missed it, uh, about this story. It's it's your classic David versus Goliath tale. And it's a story, uh, long and short of it, uh, pardon the pun, is that GameStop is a, a relatively or was a relatively small company, would have fallen well below most investors and traders' radars. Uh, and a little while ago, uh, a company that goes out there called Citron Research uh, put out a little video saying, you know, they don't like the stock. Now, just for, for comparison purposes, Citron Research is famous for going out there. Uh, they uh, they uh, really talk the short story. We'll go into what shorts actually mean for our listeners shortly. But they go into the short story as to why they don't like a stock. And usually it revolves around something like corporate fraud or something quite serious. And with GameStop, uh, they were a bit lightweight. I mean, they were basically just saying, oh, we don't like this. It's brickets and mortar retail. And they put this out there, but they also publicized that they had a short position. And Ghost, maybe you can tell our listeners what a short position is just in, in, in a quick nutshell. Yeah, so short position is where you want it to go the other way. So most of us, when we buy shares, we want them to go up. And stocks don't always go up, as we know. Sometimes they go sideways and sometimes they go down. Now, if you're going to short a share, you are betting on that thing going down not just up slowly, which would be underperformance in most portfolios or sideways. You are literally relying on the share going down. And sometimes it works insanely well. So the best example in South Africa is probably Steinoff, which was killed off by short sellers. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens there. But that's what you're ultimately hoping for. So if the stock doesn't go down, you're on the wrong side of that trade and things can get ugly for you very quickly. 
Yeah, and, and the practicalities of it is, is basically how do you how do you sell something you don't own? Is you go out there, you borrow it from someone who does own it, and you then go and sell it in the market. You hope and pray to God, and maybe you've done your research that the stock falls. And when it falls, you go back into the market, you buy it back at a lower price, and return the shares for, to the guy that you got it from. Uh, now that works fantastically if you get your call right. But what a lot of people don't realize, and this is so critical for investors, for our listeners and traders, in fact, to realize, contextualize, is that. On a long, or when you buy a share, on a long position, that's when you buy a share, your, 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 gains are, your gains are infinite, stock can go all the way to the moon, but your loss is defined, the stock goes down to zero. On a short position, your gains are finite, the stock can go to zero, but your losses are potentially infinite. So that makes short trading, short selling as a strategy exceptionally risky, for, especially for the, for the uninitiated investor. But that's not the point. In this instance, Citroen Research, another company called Melvin Capital, these are all big hedge funds. They're like the sharks of Wall Street. And these guys were all caught short of the stock called GameStop. And that's where it came unstuck, uh, an online group called Wall Street Bets. I don't know if, if listeners are familiar with this. Uh, I've only recently discovered them, but I mean, it's along the lines, ghost of what you talk about with the finance bros and the TikTok investors, decided that enough is enough. They don't like short sellers. Short sellers are unpatriotic uh, and they're just generally negative and we're going to punish them. And hey presto, David took on Goliath. It's a story of the minnows of Wall Street, hundreds and if not thousands of tiny little investors taking on the big the big boys, the, the hedge funds, the institutional asset managers, and they managed to, to pull that off. And they did it with an app called Robinhood, which is about taking money from the rich and giving it to the needy, isn't it? And it's just the most incredible social story. You've seen stories all over Reddit of some of these people donating their profits. And it's not just minnows. I mean, I've been following the story in quite a lot of detail. There are some serious traders on there, and they all have extremely rude names, which we shan't repeat on this podcast because there might be children listening who are trading on Robinhood. But, uh, you know, go and read that Reddit thread if you, if you feel like you need a language shock in your life. But it's really quite extraordinary. There are some people there who are clearly, no, they know what they're doing. And what's happening is a whole lot of other people who don't really know what they're doing are just coming along for the ride. So it's this cult with a couple of fearless leaders who are literally, it's, it's Main Street versus Wall Street. And Wall Street has been smashed. A couple of these hedge funds have been found seriously wanting. At some point, I almost wondered if they didn't bait them into this. And one or two of those uh, hedge funds maybe weren't quite as short as, as, as everyone would have them believe, you know, because that's another dirty strategy, isn't it? Talk it down, wait yeah. for a short squeeze that you're not on the right side of. I mean, I wouldn't put anything past some of these hedgies. Ghost, I wouldn't be very surprised if at some point in time there's going to be a big SEC investigation into this because the kind of volatility you're picking up. I mean, yesterday when I wrote my article, uh, GameStop was trading in after hours at around $220 a share. Uh, and then this morning it opens up and rockets even further. I mean, the, the stock, as we're talking right now, I'm just gonna gonna quickly pull it up. But as we're talking right now, the stock's at close to $350 a share. Uh, that's more than $100 just overnight, and it's it seems to be feeding on itself. I mean, there, there are a lot of technicalities around this. I mean, we can we can go into it. You can tell me if I'm getting too complex here. But going back to the point around how risky short trades are, is a lot of people who then trade options, you think options are really sophisticated, really scary, really risky. But remember on an option, if you're buying an option, if you're buying a, a call, which means you go long or you're buying a stock, or if you buy a put, which means you're kind of going short or you want to protect against downside, that means that you pay premium. It's like an insurance policy. So you pay a premium and you walk away. So your losses are limited to the premium that you've paid. So 
theoretically, buying an option is actually less risky than entering into an open short position that you have no guarantee of closing. And I think the problem with this particular stock, GameStop, is that the open interest, just the amount of short interest that was out there in the market, was over 100% of the stocks that were available in terms of the float. And that means that when the short squeeze came, short squeeze meaning that the stock's rising and going up so fast that the guys who are short need to cover, they fall over themselves and they try and buy the stock just to cover their losses. When that short squeeze came, it was so sharp, so protracted, so sudden that everyone just started falling over themselves. And the other side of this is that, remember, there are options traders or the people who have written the options here as well. And bear in mind that as they start, if, if I've written a call option, as you start getting towards my option strike price, I'm forced to hedge my position as well. So I get pushed into that pool of buyers potentially pushing the stock so much higher. It's been fireworks. It's not the only stock that this is happening to. We're seeing this across stocks like, for example, AMC, who, who, who run uh, theaters, movie theaters here in North America predominantly. AMC has seen massive pops coming through. We've seen the same thing come through on a, a little stock called iRobot, which has come through as well. And it looks as though there's a much broader movement behind this Reddit versus the hedge funds. Are, are you seeing the same thing, Ghost? Yeah, completely. And, and it's fascinating to go and read those Reddits and see what stocks they're talking about and what's driving it, because there is a big social justice angle to it. They really are trying to prove a point and make a lot of money along the way, too. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. I've seen stories of, you know, the one particular trader went from something like $80,000 to $11 million, which is a pretty decent amount of money. So it's, yeah, it's been fascinating to see. I think one concept we should talk about quickly is float. So that's a big part of the story here. So for listeners, the float is the, is the number of shares available for trade. So if you kind of ignore the big institutions that can't change their position much, if you ignore the shares held by directors, those are the shares that don't trade too often. So if you could think about it as like a residential area, the people who have lived there forever and have no plans to move, those are not the houses that are coming up for sale. The float is the upwardly mobile, the people who want to sell their homes, those sort of homes will come available for sale. The problem is when the float is too small and that short squeeze comes on, everyone is chasing a very shallow pool of shares and that's when they have to bid the price up to the moon literally and 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 the and the hedge funds eventually just get closed out yeah i mean you're talking about a shallow pool right now there's just blood in the water all over the show i mean i read this morning that uh, you know short sellers on 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 gamestop uh, have lost just this year have lost in excess of 5 billion now remember that was this morning before the stock popped another 100 dollars a share now again to provide some some context GameStop had a market capitalization of, I think it was around a billion or two uh, at the start of this entire debacle. This morning when I checked, uh, it was all the way up to around two, I think it was around 200 billion or something insane. It, it's it's just It would be one of phenomenal. the better companies on the S&P 500. I saw something. Yeah, like, I, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's 25 billion dollars, but I mean, that's, that's 200 billion rents, still, whatever. It's still really big. The S&P 500 size company because of retail investors pushing this thing through the moon. But, but what's more interesting for me here is that what's the bigger trend that we're missing? I mean, I, I, we've, we've spoken about it on this podcast as well, is that you know, you've got the finance pros, you've got Fintwit, you've got TikTok investors. What's interesting for me is that if you cast your, your mind back to the, the late 2000s when you had the Arab Spring, for example, as a social phenomenon, the reason why the Arab Spring was as successful as it was, you can call it successful, I mean successful in terms of overthrowing regimes that had been there for decades and decades, 
was that social media provided a platform for people to mobilize. And for me, it almost looks as though that kind of movement is coming into financial markets. Whether it's good or bad, we can park that debate for a little bit later on. But the fact of the matter is that social media platforms, whether that's Reddit or Twitter or TikTok, provide the ability for large masses of people, thousands if not millions of people, to collectively push their action in a certain direction. I mean, like I said, is an SEC investigation coming at some point in time? Probably yes. Does this amount to market manipulation? Again, probably yes. But how do you prosecute millions of investors whose sole strategy, I mean, we joked about it on the last podcast, is I buy it when it's going up and I sell it before it goes down kind of thing. Yes, exactly. Um, it reminds me, I mean, I, again, it reminds me, I've got young kids, so our listeners will forgive me. In Finding Nemo, there's a scene, right, where they try and tell all of these sardines that are caught in a net that if they all swim in one direction, they can break the net and, and get away from the fishing trawler. That's exactly what's happening right now, is it's mass behavioral coordination, if you want to call it that, that starts to drive much bigger trends and talks towards this gamification of markets. Have financial markets become the next battleground for the haves versus the have-nots? And it's not really the haves versus the have-nots. You've mentioned some of these guys out there are trading with some serious money, with some serious ammo. I do question some of the guys that are out there, you know, posting their YouTube videos off. They really bling cars and thousands of percent of return all the time. But that being said, it doesn't trivialize the fact that there are some serious traders out there making some proper money and who really, they participate in FinTwit. I mean, we're we're both on Twitter. Finance Ghost, you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter as well, at Mohammed Nala. And we're both there. But there's a difference between someone who knows what they're doing and contributes positively to this entire discourse and someone who's, you know, kind of just taking a fly. Yeah, exactly. And, and a lot of those finance bros and, and TikTokers and everything, once they've got their blue hoodie, you know, are they going to carry on in the market like this? Is this phenomenon going to carry on? I mean, it's just an incredible time to be alive. I loved your analogy there from Finding Nemo. I think that's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and, and the question that the SEC is going to have to answer, and it will be asked of them in the market, is at the end of the day, when you have sell-side analysts who are giving research to a tiny number of institutions and they all act on it and you know, the retail investor finds out three hours later that day having lost 10% because they would never have had access to that research. Where do you draw the line? You know, I'm not going to comment on the regs and what's fair and what's unfair, but at the end of the day, there's a much bigger story here, which is the power has been concentrated for a very long time. And we now have this perfect storm of three things. We have stimulus, good old stimmy payments. So suddenly people have money they never had before. It's pretty easy to go put that on an option premium. If you lose it, it wasn't yours anyway. And if you win, well, you know, blue hoodie time. You've got apps that let you do it. And you've got social networks that let you coordinate your efforts, learn from each other. And that is a perfect storm. And some of these hedge funds walked yep. straight into it with reckless abandon and got slaughtered. Yeah, I mean, you raise a very valid point is that finance used to be this kind of ivory tower that no one could touch. And now the untouchable realizes that, hey, actually, you know, the, the masses are storming the gates. Uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, markets have been democratized. The fact that, you know, data has become a lot cheaper, that access to trading platforms have become a, a lot cheaper. I mean, a simple example is sitting from the comfort of my home today on my broker platform, uh, I can trade stocks, bonds, FX, commodities, options, you name it. I can trade it all from one platform, all on my machine at home. I have access to real-time information. And 
The fact of the matter is it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. And that used to be the very hallowed domain of investment banks and big, big funds. This is the democratization of finance. Uh, I mean, think of just what we're doing here with this, this podcast for our listeners is that we're out there to educate. We're out there to show that, you know, it's not this elitist, closed up world that anyone out there, if you educate yourself, can go out there and be successful in this world of, of investing and of trading. I mean, one of the smartest people, one of the most successful traders I had the, the pleasure of working with uh, when I was still kind of starting out in my career was trained to be a teacher. He was actually a teacher by profession and just happened to become the most successful trader that that bank had, had seen. Uh, and he's, he's somewhat of a, a legend in South African circles. But again, we digress. This has now broadened out. If you look at it a long time ago, everyone used to refer to the, the, the lady out in the East in Japan as Mrs. Watanabe, you know, because you'd always see these massive spikes, specifically in the FX market. You know, I was looking at the, the FX market back then as well. Uh, during the Asian trading session, when there was no liquidity in markets like South Africa, the South African time zone, you saw these massive spikes that came through in, for example, a dollar rand cross. And you generally attributed that to Japanese day traders. And it was called Mrs. Watanabe because there was a large contingent of stay-at-home Japanese moms who had taken to day trading as a hobby. Uh, and Mrs. Watanabe has now basically migrated across the world. Everyone, especially in a pandemic, in a lockdown type of scenario, everyone thinks they can be a trader. Uh, everyone is being a trader, is being an investor. I'm not saying they can't. I'm saying there is probably a lot of froth in the market right now. When cycles turn, there are going to be a lot of broken hearts and a lot, a lot of pain is going to be felt. Uh, and that's where people who have kind of gone through the cycles that have the experience, whether they're a day trader on Fintwit or not, whether they're an institutional investor, uh, the pain will come. It's how you can manage that pain. And that's a product of having a clearly defined philosophy, a clearly defined strategy and tons and tons of discipline. For me, it's about not getting caught up in a lot of this this rah-rah hoopla that you're seeing on, on, on social media. I look at social media. I look at trends. I look at social sentiments on stocks that I trade and, and invest in because they are all important data sources. But I then take it in, I feed it into my own framework, and I make a decision based on what makes sense for me and my risk tolerance, my risk profile. Yeah, exactly. And building a portfolio. I mean, I did really well in tech last year. Everyone did really well in tech last year. It wasn't difficult. At the moment, I'm loading up on commodities because I'm very tech-focused in my portfolio. And if that thing has a big pullback, then sure, maybe I'll buy some more. But I'm not buying much more in the way of tech at these levels. You've got to really be able to pick stocks. Um, and it's interesting because our listeners will be then be looking forward to next week's show because we're going to hopefully have an excellent stock picker on. And we're really looking forward to that, but, but more on that to come next week. But when you're buying your sort of broad market exposure, then you've got to be just a little bit careful when things are getting really frothy. So... Yeah, it's a, it's a special time. I mean, our, our passion is democratizing this stuff. It's a huge passion of mine. I come from a pretty humble background. And, and I believe that it, people, if they are willing to learn and they are willing to read and they are willing to recognize the risk and actually take this thing seriously, a lot of people can do a lot better than they think they can. What unfortunately ends up happening is a lot of people lose out. And they lose out because they don't understand or they, you know, the mirror trading internationals of this world, they think, oh, there's a quick buck. As soon as it's something opaque and crazy like that, there is a massive difference between an, a hectic trade that's very risky, but you understand what you're doing, or at least you know it's going through the right regulated entities, the right exchanges, and then these opaque Ponzi's. You know, that's what they are. And, and I would far rather help people learn about what's going on in the markets, far rather that any day of the week than some smokes coming through and selling them a, 
you know, at the end of the day, a Ponzi. I think I think it's so important. I, I guess the last point from me, because I'd like to reiterate something that we even said on our previous podcast where we talked about it was our, our crypto night where we spoke about cryptocurrencies, about Bitcoin. And for those listeners who haven't heard it, go back, listen to it. I think it was a great show. You know, it's it's very important to realize what fits your risk profile, what fits your risk appetite, what fits your risk tolerance uh, and your style, your philosophy. Uh, spend a lot of time on that. I spend a lot of time on that to try and conceptualize what am I trying to achieve. Uh, and once I've done that, I know that I, for example, have steered away. I, I haven't participated in this massive rally in GameStop. That's that's not my game. Uh, it's certainly very interesting. It grabs headlines. But I'm never going to be the guy who's participating in out-the-money calls on GameStop. And maybe that costs me 3,500% over the last year. But that's fine because if that's the cost for me sleeping easy at night, that's my style. It's not necessarily your style, Ghost, or the style of the listener. That's why we don't give any financial advice on the show. It's also why we don't have gold-plated Lamborghinis, you know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I've looked at your blue hoodie for about 20 minutes, which means we're out of time. But thank you so much. That was uh, that was really fun. And, and geez, what a time to be alive in the markets. I just can't get enough of it at the moment. So, yeah, really looking forward to next week. Yeah, it's been an absolute blast. Thanks again to our listeners. Remember, you can subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. And please go out there, give us a great rating. You are what makes Magic Markets great. You are why we do what we do and why we love it so much. So thanks so much. Great being with you guys. And look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Cheers, mate. This podcast is brought to you by Anbro Capital Investments. Invest in the future. Invest in growth. Visit investingunicorns.com to learn more. The Unicorn Portfolio is managed by Anbro Capital Investments, an authorized financial services provider. Remember to visit thefinancegoes.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.